Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Greetings and welcome to our deep sea domain. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and today I'll be shaking hands with credibility. And questioning the meaning of the length of those cigars. I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 5th of December 1996. FIFA 97 is top of the video game chart. The Prodigy are still top of the pops with Breathe. But we've got a new number one at the top of the UK box office. Beautiful Girls. They're the best of friends. Do I got anything in my stash? Why is he here? In town for their high school reunion. I've been back exactly uh, four minutes. But they have one big problem. I want to give you this. It's brown. You buy a colored diamond for a girl you're not even seeing, man. You've been eating retard sandwiches again. <laughs> They're all falling in love. You can slip into something more comfortable. With beautiful girls. They're all sisters, Will. Trust me, they're all sisters. It's one big conspiracy. I do not have a huge amount to say about this film. It's about a pianist called Willie Conway heading back to his hometown of Knights Ridge for his high school reunion where, you know, oh no, I'm in my 30s and suddenly life is hard and I'm like, bitch, please, I'm in my 40s. These films just seem to crop up every decade. There's always like one of these movies. And when I say every decade, I feel like every handful of years, a movie like this or a TV series comes out like this where it's people who were college friends who are now in their 30s, 
discovering what do I have to do now I'm in my 30s? What's his commitments? I literally just went downstairs to make myself a cup of coffee. And my wife is watching a show with borderline this same style of plot. 30 something the movie exactly that's exactly the thing and you know it, um, they're always fine and it's funny like every, i was reading up about this because i haven't seen this film before but when i was reading up about it, i was like yeah i'd probably give this a watch if this was on like netflix or something i'd probably give it a go i'm not sure if i'd watch it on netflix but if it was on itv two or three on a sunday hmm. afternoon yeah you know i'd give it a shot more interesting to me on this film is the writer scott rosenberg yeah because you look at his writing credits and he, you know he wrote an episode of tales from the crypt that's pretty cool. But he wrote this while waiting to hear back on his script for Con Air. Yeah, he's essentially a guy that was, you know, writing a lot of action scripts. There's a lot of uncredited rewrites and things like that. And he basically decided that I'm tired of writing scripts about people shooting and killing each other. Surely there's something more to life. I don't know what that is in my life, though. And thus Beautiful Girls was born. But yeah, Con Air was like the one that immediately jumps out to me because that's going to be one of our big films for next year. The hilarious thing is, is when he was writing this movie about 30-somethings having a crisis of confidence about their life, he himself was in his 30s having a crisis of confidence about his life. I mean, it's right what you know. But then going back to, well, what about Gone in 60 Seconds, the remake? Or a decade or so later, hey, a couple of Jumanjis. Yeah, he wrote both the Jumanji movies, wrote Venom, uh, did uncredited rewrites on Spider-Man and Armageddon. He's actually, he's in Con Air. He's one of the final people that's in Con Air. If you've seen the movie with Garland in at the craps table and the guy comes up and is like, does anyone feel lucky today? New shooter, do you feel lucky? Yes, yes, I do. The guy who throws in dice and asks him if he's lucky is our boy Scott Rosenberg. I mean, versatile. He can write about horror and cars and shooting and Nicolas Cage and being 30. Con Air, legit, is one of my favourite movies of all time. That is a movie that no matter where I'm at in my month, my year, my week, my hour, I can watch Con Air and be happy as Larry because I think it's legit. One, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I absolutely adore that film. And, I just, and off the back of that's why I might want to check out Beautiful Girls. It's got a decent enough cast as well. You know, Matt Dillon, an early Natalie Portman role in there, Michael Rappaport, Uma Thurman, David Arquette. You know, some good names there that jump out to you. And I like this style of movie, so I probably would go on board for it. It really sucks that Con Air does not fall inside our regular timeline. Yeah, we've still got Breathe at the top of the pops. It, I, I said last week, is probably my favourite song released from this era of Prodigy, certainly off of this album anyway. I, I think Breathe is a, a phenomenal little track. Every track on the album is great. But yeah, the ones they chose for the singles, just absolute dynamite. How, how do you feel about the Prodigy going back out on tour? Yeah, without Keith. I mean, do you know what? Bands do this all the time, don't they? Like bands lose members, but then still go out. So yeah, I guess it's like it's unsurprising that they're that they're you know still going to crack on. Yeah, I I mean I've seen some clips from some of the shows, and one thing I can say is they have approached the entire situation of the absence of Keith with a great deal of respect and reverence. Like the clips I've seen of Firestarter, you've got a laser outline of Keith being traced in the air, and no one is doing the vocals other than the crowd. That's cool. That's that's perfect. That's cathartic. It's a really, really nice way to approach it. It's kind of the same way that whatever form of Queen is touring in the aftermath of Freddie's death, they would always cut to the video for certain bits, for certain songs, for certain moments, because you can get very, very good singers. Adam Lambert, whether you 
like him or not, is a very, very good singer and a good front man for what's left of that band. But there are also some moments where you're like, this is a Freddie moment. Before we get into the magazine, slight little bit of TV news, because on the 30th of November, during a live broadcast of the National Lottery, the draw machine doesn't start, causing it to be delayed for 50 minutes. It's draw time, three minutes past eight on Saturday the 30th of November, and it's the 107th National Lottery draw, live on BBC One and Radio One. Drawmaster Willen, please start up Guinevere. Don't forget, 28 pence of your plan goes for the good causes, 50 pence goes for the prize funds, and tonight some of that could be yours. We're having a slight problem with the machine at the moment. For those of you listening to Radio 1, we're about to power it up and start the machine, but we're having some difficulty. It's at this point that we ask Bob Monkhouse to step forward and ask tonight's drawmaster, John Willen, to explain exactly what we do about this evening's draw. Drawmaster John Willen, please explain exactly what we're going to do about this week's draw. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob, we seem to have a technical problem. I blame Pat Lewis. <laughs> At the present time, we run into technical difficulties. We hope to hold the draw as soon as possible and bring the results to you later this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it's over to casualty, I guess, and hope that they'll come up uh, with their answers during casualty. They may crop up during the show. But anyway, you'll get the facts later this evening. Thank you, Pat. You did Thank your you best. Very much. And Ash, you'll appreciate this with your love for Yuri Geller. A resident psychic Mystic Meg later claimed that she'd been predicting that would happen all day. Bullshit. <laughs> Pretty much. What, was Yuri Geller in the studio? Did he, like, bend the switch or something? Uh, Ash, before we get into this show, what's going on in the magazine? Well, it's been a hot minute since we had some Nintendo 64 news. So, Luke, some Nintendo 64 news that involves Atari. Mm-hmm, Okay. Are we trying to get some of those great Atari Jaguar games onto the 64? Because the 64 is calling out for Cybermorph. I mean, where did you learn to fly? Do a barrel <laughs> roll. No, the latest news from Camp Nintendo is that Atari are to develop three arcade games which will be converted to the Nintendo 64 in 1997. First up is Maximum Force, a light gun blaster, with Mace, a 3D beat-em-up, and finally Rush, a Ridge Racer-style drive-em-up. Drive them up. That's a thing now, Luke. I like drive them up as a, as a way to describe racing games. Platform them up. Um, block them up. A gun them up. Gun them up. <laughs> That's what Doom is. All the Kirby games are suck them up. Uh, no, never mind. <laughs> but Titus have also at last confirmed that they are beavering away on a Nintendo 64 version of their SNES racer Lamborghini American Challenge, originally titled Lamborghini 64. It will feature a bevy of In Your Dream Sun racers, including unsurprisingly, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Porsches and Bugattis and is expected to launch next summer. And then there is a little plug for 64 Fan Magazine, which is still featuring Inside Games Master. It's a bumper old magazine at the moment. Kind of touched upon this last week as well. You were trying to pick out what to talk about from the magazine because there is that six-page feature or whatever it is on Series 6, which I really feel like we do need to get into at some point. Maybe we'll just do it as like a bonus episode or something. Luke, Christmas is just around the corner. Yeah, absolutely And by that, I mean it's almost September. <laughs> it's it's Christmas is around the corner in our timeline. We are now in December 96. Oh, God, this is really confusing. It doesn't get any less confusing that we've had now like four Christmases in the no. space of two years, plus two real Christmases. But one other little bit of news, because Sony had their Shoshinke show. Try saying that when you're a little bit tipsy. But they had that. It was full of surprises. It was full of new games. And it was full of new controllers as Sony unveiled the new analog joypad. <gasps> Crikey, that's come round quicker than I expected. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not expecting to make an appearance until well into next year, and there is no price nor list of games with which it will be compatible. But the good news is, it feels and plays as well as its competitors, I would argue better than some. And I say that as someone that has fondness for both the Saturn 3D controller and the Nintendo 64 controller. But even with its kind of new, weird, big Hero 6 design that it's kind of got going on with the PS5, it's essentially the same controller. Yeah, it's a comfy old controller to hold. An interesting little note, there is a single picture here from Japan of the controller where it is shown in three colours. Ooh. Standard PlayStation grey, sexy black, and a very bright, striking white. Ooh, a white one sounds quite nice. Yeah, it looks quite nice, although... Having the PS5 pad, which is predominantly white, oh, fingerprints don't half show up on it. Good evening and welcome to Games Master, where it's quite literally December, so technically it's very cold. Here in Atlantis, however, my temperature just keeps on rising, because not only do we have the second round of our footy tournament, but I also have rather a splendid seafront view. Well, Ash, as we mentioned earlier, we are now into the December months of Series 6, which means we really are now on the countdown to that episode. But also, it's kind of nice that we're getting this episode here in our timeline, as our real world timeline, because it's been quite warm as of late, which means I've been having a lot of ice cream. I want to know, what did Dominic say or do just before the camera started rolling? Because the mermaids are corpsing to fuck. They are audibly and visibly kind of giggling and smirking. I suspect at least part of it is because that suntan lotion bottle does appear to be making a bit of a farty noise. But I suspect something else happened just before the cameras started. Dom said something or did something or a noise was made because it is that proper childish giggle coming from them. You know, that kind of like, oh, we're in a school assembly and we're meant to be serious or we're meant to be focusing on what we're doing. And the giggles have just started. Or it could be that, you know, they'd just done a rehearsal and they thought the line of Splendid Seafront View was really, really funny. And so that when they start, the camera started rolling, they've still got the giggles off the first time they've heard it. It's like, oh, yes, he's talking about our tits. Yes, because this is an audio medium. If you haven't seen the episode, he does literally stare down their tops and then say what cracking tits they've got. They've got huge tracts of land. <laughs> he likes ladies with big brains. But anyway, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I don't like being ordered about. So I was more than a little irate to receive an officious letter from someone calling himself the boss demanding to come on the show and display his games-playing portfolio. Apparently, this character has made a career by beating every boss on every game, including beat-em-ups, ups and platforms. Despite his dubious interpersonal skills, I decided to invite him on to see if he can send three randomly picked bosses into early retirement. I love that they went to the length of doing this entire letter, even though we don't see all of the copy. Clearly, this was some intern having a lot of fun. Yeah, or it was Rick and, you know, the lot of them just there writing this up and would have had an absolute ball with it because this is very similar to the Executioner Challenge we had last series to the point where it's the same lad doing this. He is still part of the production team, Ravi Chopra, and this time he's playing a different character. Character of the boss, and he's going to be playing three bosses on three different games, again picked at Bucky O'Hare is random, and then he's going to 
beat all three of those bosses. I wonder if he'll have more luck this time than he did as the executioner. I mean, I'd say his visibility is better as the boss than it was as the executioner because he's not wearing a daft mask. But also, the amount of acronyms and three and four letter things that come after the boss as a name. I started, as part of my research, trying to look these up. And after the third one, I'm like, no, this is all bollocks. (laughs) I mean, a couple of them do have real meanings, but not that would be applied to a fictional business mogul. And I'm fairly certain the one, which is a Microsoft certification, didn't exist in 1996. As a conceit, do you think this is better or worse than The Executioner? Oh, uh, 100% better. And it's made 100% better, one by spoilers. He's actually pretty good. I mean, these aren't easy challenges, but he is actually pretty good. Two, he's got a bit more of a character. It's an annoying character, but it is a character. And lastly, Dom is in on it. And just the the constant like of he's definitely a real boss. Look, he's got his qualifications. There's his desk over there with a fax machine. He's got a mobile phone. His suit looks quite cheap. Just all that kind of stuff. It's fun. It's silly. It's like going, we know there are two blokes inside the panto horse, but just roll with us. Just stick with us. It'll be all right. I think it's a fun challenge because also the three games we get are quite different games if this had just been three beat-em-ups three racing games three platformers yeah but we get quite a diverse set of games going on here we get a beat-em-up a fly-em-up and a spider-them-up yeah a zombie-em-up I think what I liked about this one you kind of made the point there you know Dom's more in on the joke because with series five they did this whole big thing like you know there's uh, 50 games in here there's a hundred different possibilities of what the the fatalities could be or you know whatever it was in this series here they are up front and center saying this is all fake this is all rigged we haven't picked these games at random these are just the three games but we're pretending that it is like he literally has like a little glint in his teeth to say this is all rigged but just just join us, will you? Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you, Dominic. How first, are you? Um, I'm fine. Do you, do you have a first name? Just, just the boss. Mr. Mr. Boss? Yeah, Mr. Boss. Mr. Boss. Why do they call you the boss? I'm just so good on these, you know, games. You can give me a platform game. And sh- <laughs> Hold on. I think you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. Hello? <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, okay. carry on. Who, Sorry who, about who that. Who was that? That was one of my salesmen. Right. It wasn't just a carefully constructed gang. No, no, no. Not <laughs> at all. Okay. <laughs> We've had uh, we've had many guests on the show, and you're certainly certainly a guest. Uh, so we're going to pick three. <sighs> yes, hello. I'm too busy right now. Come on, bye bye. <laughs> right. Sorry about that. A- another salesman? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Plenty it might you're be. on the go. Now uh, we're going to pick three games at random, and uh, the boss is going to have to tackle the three random bosses. Okay, would you like to uh, pick one cigar out of the box then? And hand it to me without looking at it. Okay, the first boss is a uh, final boss from Star Gladiators, boss number two. The second one is Weird Humpty Dumpty looking boss from uh, Knights. And the final one is <laughs> Final Spider Boss from Resident Evil. Those are the three totally random bosses. We meet the boss. He's a very busy businessman. Uh, does he have a first name? Probably the word the. First name the, surname boss. Like Edge from U2. His first name is the. 
and like Bono, whose first name is Wanker, but it's silent. The running gag, at least for this first bit, which thankfully they do get rid of before it gets a bit too tiring, is the boss's mobile phone going off constantly. And genuinely, the first time it happens, I don't think Don was expecting it at that moment because he is briefly caught off guard by the bit. Yeah, I think he is. And his disdain for the bit is is quite evident where it's like, I'm going to set you up now. What was that? It's like, oh, it was a salesman. All right, okay, cool. And then when you get the second phone call, it's like, another salesman, was it? He's like, uh, yeah, thinking that maybe he'll have a different answer. It's like, nope, we are just doing this one bit, I guess, that he's just getting calls from salesmen. Well, he's a boss, Luke. Well, I mean, it may get a call from different people, get a call from corporates rather than from the sales team. Did you not see the letterhead? He holds all the positions in in the company. I mean, he can't call himself. I, I, well, there are other people within the corporates. He might have some underlings uh, underneath him. He might have had a call from investors. There could be a whole host of people that are trying to ring him up. Now, I, I, I'm, I think it is entirely proof that this is a legitimate boss, that he was just getting calls from salesmen. Not the same salesmen, different salesmen. Uh, so yeah, the three games that we have got, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we've got Star Gladiator, we've got Knights, and we have got Resident Evil. Very excited to see Resident Evil featured on this show. And actually, Star Gladiator, because we got it reviewed a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, I was really pumped to see Resident Evil on here. And also, they chose a very sensible boss from Resident Evil because it's playing it safe for the time slot. I mean, you know, giant f- but also no brains exploding everywhere. Yeah, it's it's an easy sell as well. Big spider, shoot the spider. All those games, totally random, definitely legit. I, I think so, yeah. I think there were hundreds of cigars in that box. Three, two, one, go! Soon to arrive in the UK is Alpine Racer 2. This follow-up to last year's surprise arcade hit is the first game to utilise Namco's new System 33 hardware for improved graphics. The game has almost vertical slopes and massive jumps which were based on my last gold medal Olympic skiing performance. Alpine Racer 2 will be testing games players' limits when it hits arcades next month. First news item we've got here is Namco's Alpine Racer 2, the sequel to Alpine Racer, which we had featured in last series. It's, you know, I think this one, you can like link two of them together so you can do head-to-head type situations. So it's a, a nice little upgrade from the first one. I think I remember playing Alpine Racer 2 a bit more than Alpine Racer. I think that might just be because the local Laser Quest type place near me had an Alpine Racer 2, didn't have a first Alpine Racer. But I remember the whoosh, whoosh, swooshing side to side. Don't think it had two of them side by side. It was a small town. They had a limited budget, but it was definitely there. Uh, Looking at the Wikipedia page, it was interesting to see that this was one of two games alongside Tetris used by a Harvard scientist to study the relationship between learning and sleep. And he found that after playing the game for hours before going to sleep, even subjects suffering from anterior grade amnesia, the inability to form new memories, would dream of skiing. That is cool, isn't it? And interesting, I guess because you are literally doing all of the skiing yourself, you know, it's a big, massive arcade machine. You've got the swooshing platform, you're holding onto bars and stuff. So it's kind of like to put you into the mode of skiing. If you'd have put them on, say, just like, I don't know, Winter Olympics on the Saturn or something, you probably wouldn't have had the same result. But because you are, like, it feels like you're physically doing the skiing. That's kind of what's helping you out here. Do you just dream of blocks if you're playing Tetris or like things being tidied up? 
I think it's a good job they didn't have them play Aquajet because otherwise they'd just dream of water sports and that'd get messy. Those who believe that the truth is out there somewhere will be pleased to know that in production at the moment is an interactive game of the cult TV series The X-Files. On the show's Vancouver sets, filming has taken place of scenes for the game, written by the show's creator Chris Carter and starring none other than David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Expect lots of alien encounters, mysterious locations and many sad geeks still thinking Scully is very fit when it's released next March. Up next, it's the X-Files back here on our screen so that Dom can have a pop at people who fancy Scully. But yeah, the X-Files game, this is a pretty cool one. I have only played this briefly because uh, a friend of mine had it on the PlayStation. I, I'd actually quite like to go back and play it through fully, but I've, I've only ever like you know had a handful of like hours or whatever it is. But I really do want to get my hands into this. I think this is another game that you can play via various DOS boxes and kind of abandonware sites and whatnot. Or, you know, you could just get the PS1 version or play it maybe on your RG351 or similar. There, there are different ways to go back and experience this game. Uh, firstly, on the subject of Scully, off Dom, just going to leave that one out there. But also, I do love how they make the big deal about the fact that this was actually filmed in Vancouver on the set of the X-Files with the cast of the X-Files somewhat. Because, for fairly understandable reasons, Duchovny and Anderson were quite busy. Certainly didn't have time to be around for all of the 700-plus page script that went along with this game because, of course, like a lot of FMV games, particularly these more advanced multi-disc ones, it was branching paths. Different decisions would result in different outcomes. Like when we were looking at the Steven Spielberg director's chair, you would get different takes of the same scene with different emphasis. Don't have time for that. Therefore, Scully and Anderson are written out fairly quickly and you get the new Wilmore character who is introduced to be the kind of main focus of the game yeah and I, I think if you're a fan of the show that's kind of like it's, it's an understandable thing but also you want to be playing as Mulder and Scully like if you've got a, a men in black game you'd want to be playing as you know the, the agents you want to be playing as the, the the characters you are in the movie it may it makes sense but I think yeah people might have been slightly disappointed by that as far as I can tell though people relatively liked the X-Files game when it came out I want to highlight as well that is what the game is called the X-Files game the X-Files did struggle a little bit with naming for a while because, what, the first X-Files movie was for a while just known as the X-Files movie, but then became the X-Files Fight the Future when they realised it was just getting really confusing. And it's kind of like the same as they did with the uh, the Ghostbusters reboot, where it suddenly became Ghostbusters Answer the Call because they're just like, oh, this is confusing on DVD shelves. Yeah, they did the same thing with a few other movies as well, like uh, you're renaming them because you're like, well, this didn't do particularly well at the box office, so we'll just rename it and maybe that'll actually boost up sales. That um, that Tom Cruise sci-fi movie, uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, I think was renamed on DVD. Really? Yeah, I think on DVD it was just, it was released as like Live, Die, Repeat or whatever it was. It certainly was for a short period of time. I think they then went back to, because I remember there being lots of news articles about it at the time being a very confusing release for it because they were trying to like, because it didn't do very well at the box office. They were trying to find a new tactic to get people to buy it out on home video. Okay, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. The film was originally called All You Need Is Kill after the novel that it was based on. But as filming was ending in July 2013, Warner Brothers changed the title to Edge of Tomorrow, Apparently that was done because they are worried about negative implications of the word kill in the title. Ah, uh, yeah, I've got it here. Uh, so on the, the home media bit, it says, similarly, some digital retailers list the film under the title Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. 
Yeah, so there was there were two or three different titles for this flowing around at different times and different ones were used in different places. It's kind of like Lawnmower Man 2. Man, I can't believe I had a legitimate reason to bring that up again, which was either beyond cyberspace or Job's War, depending on like whether you're watching the opening credits or the closing credits. Yeah. One sad thing is a lot of the X-Files, as we've seen via the beautiful HD remasters, was shot on film. Sadly, and understandably, given the amount of footage to be shot, the X-Files game was not. It was instead shot on digital beta cam with Sony cameras. So even a remaster is only going to go so far. You could get better quality than the compression we see on the PlayStation, PC and Mac versions. But sadly, even with the best will in the world and the full cooperation of Fox, we're never going to get like a beautiful 4K restoration of this game, which makes me sad, Luke. Do you know what makes me sad, Ash? Some of the editing on the Wikipedia page for the X-Files game. I'm going to read you this verbatim as it's written here on the Wikipedia page. The game was released for Microsoft Windows, Mac OS and PlayStation in 1998, capital A, a Sega Saturn I was but a released cancelled version, full stop, and is based on the television series The X-Files. However, after that full stop, the AND is not capitalised. So someone has gone in there to do an edit to talk about the, the cancelled Saturn port of this, but has not written it as a full sentence, or hyperlinks have bodged it somewhere, because the that read once again is, a Sega Saturn I was but a released cancelled version. Hey Luke, what guess? <laughs> We're talking about this game now at the tail end of 1996. It was first displayed at E3 1996. And at that point, they were like, it will be out in 1997. And Dom says here, it will be out in 1997. Spoilers, it was not out in 1997. As you just said, a 1998 release. Weirdly, I saw a copy of this in a charity shop last week and I almost bought it until I realised two of the discs were missing. Ah, yeah, there's no, there's no use to you. Missing discs, no good. Beat em up featuring soft, pansy-looking, dancing fighter shock. Obviously desperate to come up with a new fighting game after losing the Mortal Kombat licence, software company Acclaim have been using their motion capture technology to develop some new characters to replace Sub-Zero and Cole. Unfortunately, as this rolling demo of the fight illustrates, they haven't quite grasped the idea that fighters have to be hard. And our last news item here is, like, it's an interesting one, but not for the reasons that it's being presented on the TV show here, because what they're talking about is this Acclaim fighter that they're going to be doing because it's going to be the new Mortal Kombat. But as you and I were discussing before we started recording this, this basically just looks like a tech demo. I don't think this is an actual game. As far as I can tell, I don't think it was released as an actual game, willing to be proven wrong on that. This just looks like a tech demo of what they could do for a fighting game if they wanted to. Yeah, this very much looks like demonstration of motion capture. Due diligence I did, I tried to search for Acclaim, motion capture, fighting game, tech demo, 96, 97, all these different combinations. Couldn't find anything much about it. Mostly it was focusing on the earlier Acclaim motion capture tech demos from 94, 95, which we've previously talked about. If anyone out there knows anything about this, please do reach out, throw a link, throw information. It's an interesting little bit of footage to look at because I'm watching it and going, this is not meant to be running on any existing console. Even the M2 might struggle with this. But for me, like the interesting part of this is actually the first half of the news item, which is that Acclaim have lost Mortal Kombat. Talked about this with the Turok uh, news we had a few weeks back. This is part of Acclaim's massive downfall they had after their incredible rise they had during the early 90s on the 16-bit systems that came off the back of 
Sony and a few other places were touting that they were going to be releasing 32-bit machines. It claimed double down. I was like, no, we're sticking with 16-bit home console releases because there's 30 million of them in the US. So we'll have much more of a groundswell to get games sold. And that did not work out for them because everyone went and bought a PlayStation instead. And so they were then on the back foot trying to reclaim some of their market share. And like their stock price just plummeted and plummeted and plummeted. And then, yeah, they're losing Mortal Kombat. I was just—I was reading a Wall Street Journal article from this time that's called "Wounded in Combat: How a Claimer Losing Money." Part of me wonders: Was this news article and the use of the motion capture footage just a way to get in that a claim have lost the Mortal Kombat license? Because realistically, there isn't anything necessarily too interesting visually about going a claimer fucked. It is worthy news, but it's not visually interesting whereas going well this is something a claim might be working on now they're properly shafted and don't have mortal combat anymore yeah they've lost more combat but look what they're replacing it with this is this looks silly fighters are supposed to look hard this is not the way to bounce back from your bad news of losing mortal combat yeah this is a sponge em up i think we found our new running gag luke i think we have for only this episode <laughs> okay today on the show we have the boss who claims he can be any boss in any game available, okay? We must stress he is a real boss. He is not just some guy we've put in some really dodgy clothes for the purposes of humour. That actually goes to Rick Henderson. <laughs> uh, Rick, have you got any tips for this finely dressed man? I should imagine that he'll have to get the five hit combos going so he can do his super duper special move right at the end. That's the only way he's going to beat Bilson. Well, Rick is in the Bootham up, and uh, he talks that he's actually the real boss of this and uh, not the guy they've put in the cheap suit. Ah, oh, that's unfair. I mean, no, it's not. It's a cheap suit. <laughs> Basically, Rick is here to talk about that five-hit combo, the plasma combo that we, uh, we they were talking about when they reviewed this a couple of weeks back, which is essentially you do get your five-hit combo, then you can do your big super move, and that's going to be what he needs here in order to beat the final boss of this game. Because this is really the only true final boss we get in this challenge the rest of them are just bosses from the from the two games like a lot of 3d fighters there is the boss and then there is another form of the boss we talked about again before we started recording we were talking about tekken which has a similar one but this is bilstein dr edward bilstein phd who will then come back as kind of like an ultra bilstein or a ghost bilstein or some other form of bilstein who is the final true boss and the boss, this is now going to get very confusing, the boss is playing as Rimgal, who used to be an English scientist called Michael Milliam, but is now a velociraptor after being experimented on by Dr. Edward Bilstein. And Bilstein is the clearest example that you have here that this was supposed to be a Star Wars game because he is fighting not Darth Vader here. Oh, definitely not fighting Darth Vader. Does raise the question of what was Rimgal meant to be? because i guess the bosk yeah i guess like I, I think once you've lost like the star wars license you're like well may as well just put a velociraptor in there there's no harm in doing so but we've kind of already got our our darth vader s because like if you're making a star wars game darth vader's the final boss so they've probably already got that bit in place once you lose the star wars license it's like but what do we want to put in there do you want to put a velociraptor in sure why not do we have that ewok model could we stretch it and give it scales I like that as well. You're How weird. <laughs> However, like, you know, he doesn't get off to a good start here, does the boss. He loses the first round. 
I did think on first watch of this, I was like, oh, is he going to biff it on the first challenge? Are we then just going to give the rest of the episode over to the football challenge? Because as I think we said before, we try not to watch too far in advance. And so for me, the first time I've watched this episode, probably since broadcast, would have been when starting to prepare to take notes. I couldn't remember whether he got all the way through. I couldn't remember whether we actually completed the challenge. And the concept that he might lose at the first hurdle is not removed from the realm of possibility for Games Master, particularly in the latter seasons. There was part of me was like, oh, I wonder if he lost that on purpose to try and create some drama and stuff. But I don't think he does. Essentially, he's trying to get the five hit combo in, but failing to do so. He just cannot get that five hit combo in. It's not until the final round that he manages to land one. He takes the second round. Uh, even though Dom at one point does get very confused as to whose energy meter is whose. But he picks Bill Stein up by the neck, slams him on the ground. That allows him to take his first round. It's one apiece. We get into the final round. And as you said, he starts to build up that combo and he boxes Bill Stein against the edge of the platform. So he can either beat him or he might be able to get a ring out. But he lands multiple hits, even though some of them are blocked. He gets his super combo, which is biting all over, following by a chomp in the joy department. Yeah, it's very NAD-based offense that he's got here. And when he does go for the NADs, it's like, oh, I can now see why he played as this character for this challenge. Yes, while there is some testicular torture involved, it's also a pretty cool-looking character. I mean, dinosaurs, Luke. Dinosaurs are always cool, but this is like, you know, with the Executioner Challenge in Series 5, the reason why you pick to play Orchid is because you want to do the boob flash move. Like that is, you know, specifically chosen Rimgal here because cock-based offense. Also, mutant sentient velociraptor, what does he think he is? An abandoned Jurassic Park script? Maybe that's what they do. Like, they didn't get, they lost the Star Wars license, but they were like, maybe we'll get the Jurassic Park license instead, so we'll start putting velociraptors into this game. Don't know who the final boss would have been. I mean, you'd say that the final boss would be the T-Rex, but if you've got the Raptor, maybe the final boss is, is Alan Grant's. The final boss is a locked door. <laughs> a sentient locked door <laughs> that you're trying to open. Oh, well, we'll get to that in the Knight's Challenge. Honestly, this round, it does have a nice amount of attention to it, whether deliberate or not. The game does look good, and the boss clearly can play his games. Star Gladiator, I did go back and play it after that reviewer for a bit. I'm better at it than Virtua Fighter. It, it's the sort of game that had I got this at the time, I probably would have loved it. And I'd have been on this podcast talking about how I sunk a lot of hours into it. I think now if I went and played it and it would be the first time, I'd be like, yeah, this is totally fine. This is a totally fine 3D fighter. But the bite to the nat isn't actually what finishes the round. It almost takes the energy all the way down. It is just in a couple of jabs. Boom. First challenge over. The boss beats the boss. He does indeed. He is one third of the way towards that golden games master joystick which means he's now got the weird humpty dumpty lad from night but is it a lad now he's about to try the fat weird humpty dumpty guy on uh, nights on the saturn right rick any tips for the fat weird humpty dumpty boy yeah certainly every time the fat weird humpty dumpty girl has it uh, has a brazier okay but then in, right. in this day and age that's no guarantee rick <laughs> But every time it hits him, he'll lose five seconds. He's starting with 100 seconds. He's going to have to race through this. Uh, no, no, it's not. There is the question because, I mean, looking at the design, I can understand somewhat the confusion because it does look like Humpty Dumpty. It is kind of a weird clown, but it is also wearing a bra. Um, it's also definitely not a final boss. It's kind of one of the uh, second level Nightmarian bosses in Nights into Dreams. Essentially, 
the Humpty Dumpty looking motherfucker is a female humanoid opera singing rabbit. I don't know how Dom and Rick could make this mistake, Luke. Also, I have no idea how this game didn't capture the West by Storm like Sonic did. I just, I can't figure it out, Ash. Mate, if this had come out for the first time in 2020, it would have. Well, that's the thing. It's like, in 1996, this was never going to work. In the same way, and like, this is the, the fun, the fascinating thing with Knights. The original design for Sonic the Hedgehog was not the Sonic that we have now. He was... A, a much spikier character he had fangs he had a anthropomorphic band he had a human girlfriend called madonna he was a completely different character faxed over to sega of america who looked at it and said we cannot sell this to america we need to americanize this so they americanized it and we got sonic the hedgehog as we know and love him today and that's kind of what saved the character they didn't do that with knights they instead just released a very, very Japanese game, hoping that it would land in America, and it didn't. You're right, like 2022 would have done so. 1996, there's no market for it. I would hate to see an Americanized Knights. Like, there'd be beatboxing, they'd possibly have like a... <laughs> 1996, absolutely they would have been. They've been doing the Bartman. Knights is a very weird, it's very oh the Japanity on this one. It's also quite cerebral because of a Sega Saturn game, I never expected to read the phrase, the team conducted research on dreaming and REM sleep and was influenced by the works and theories of psychoanalyst Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. And again, Ash, I can't fathom why this didn't work in America. It's a shame because it is a wonderful, beautiful, weird game. It's got a great soundtrack as well. Knights was one of the few games that made me go, oh, I wish I had a Saturn back in the 90s. Spoilers, in the mid to late 90s, I was already into weird Japanese shit. I was importing copies of Fire Pro Wrestling, for God's sake. But this game was something which I looked at and went, oh man, I kind of wish I had a Saturn. This looks really cool. It's got. A, it's a very cool game to look at. It's a very intriguing game. Uh, I remember playing it at the time and being kind of like sort of wowed by it a little bit and not fully knowing what to what to like get of it if i'm trying to find what the sort of the word is but it is i'm not sure what to make of it essentially which is that you know i was so used to the sega games that had come previously to it so this is the brand new sega game and it's just it's unlike anything else they've done previously fascinating little game these nights i've, I've now looked back on it with much fonder eyes uh, and much kinder rise as well and i think it's a wickedly fun game i've, I've played it through uh, quite a few times the wii sequel i didn't love as much but the the first nights i really really liked and also it is a rarity in something that i don't think sonic ever had is it got a season specific spin-off which is actually due out like right now in timeline which is christmas nights Basically, the idea came up. Juji Naka approached Sega of Japan, basically going, can we can we give like these Saturn owners, these poor bastards that are propping us up, can we give them a bit of a Christmas treat with like some extra nights? And in Japan, nights sold really well. So there was a little bit of wanting to reward those people that were supporting the vision, the game. And so we get a themed nights with snow. Uh, the character of nights is now in red and white in a very festive look. And it wasn't sold as a retail package, but it was kind of packed in with hardware and also could be gained along with certain games. So if you bought Knights, Worldwide Soccer 97, Fighting Vipers, Daytona USA CCE or Virtua Cop 2, you could get this little 
kind of like bonus Christmas episode. The only thing I can think of that's comparable is Christmas Lemmings. Yeah. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? Like, I think, you know, now this would just be a little bit of DLC that you that you would get for it. But here in 1996, you've got to do it in a very, very different way. There is a caption on the article in Games Master about this, which I've just been using as a source, which is, at least Christmas Nights isn't a rip-off. Sega aren't actually charging you directly for it. <laughs> <Just like laughs> little harsh, little on the nose. It's a tough challenge, this, as well, because you've got to beat this boss, which, is, by the way, looks like an absolute fuckcake as well. So it's so much bouncing around, so much grabbing and throwing through walls. He's got to bounce the boss through six walls and has got 95 seconds to do so. But if you take a hit, you lose five seconds. So it really, really comes down to the wire on this. I mean, imagine the final challenge against Bowser. Now imagine trying to do it whilst both of you are flying. That's what this challenge is. And Bowser is bouncing around you. Bowser has got an inflation fetish and so is therefore poinging all over the place. I mean, Puffy had ball physics, which meant that every time she was thrown by the player, she will bounce around and could actually bounce right back at you, hit you, boom, you've lost five seconds. The boss actually gets off to a pretty good start with this, takes out two walls very, very quickly. Third wall causes a bit of a problem, but then the fourth wall just, boom, straight through. No issue at all. That third wall's really tricky because you've got to go kind of underneath. So there's just like lots of sort of walls that you've got to bounce it. You could almost do like a triangle bounce to get it under. Then you have like Ravi has no issue getting through the fourth one. So he's got 50 seconds left by the time he gets to walls five and six. And it's when he gets to this fifth wall that, you know, dog's dinner is the phrase that comes to mind because he just struggles. In fact, at one point, the boss actually goes back through the fourth wall and he has to then throw it through two more walls, but he finally does it and he's at that sixth wall and then suddenly, bam, 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 and he takes like six, seven hits and he is down to 10 seconds on the clock. He just manages to recover, grabs the boss, swings do dos outwards through the last wall, five seconds left on the clock. If Star Gladiator was tight, this was bicycle clips time. This was super tight. It was, it was amazing, isn't it? Because like he gets through that fifth wall with 17 seconds on the clock. So already it's quite tense because that's not a huge amount of time considering that he had loads of time left to him to go uh, from fourth into the fifth one. Um, but then he takes that hit and he loses five seconds. It gets really, really white knuckled by, by the end. It's, it's a brilliant challenge because of that. Even though... Rick breaks kayfabe during his commentary here by shouting at the top of his lungs. Come on, jumpy setups. <laughs> Maybe that's just his nickname for the boss. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, he's not giving his nickname for Ravi Chopra, is he? Well, boss is uh, it's going okay so far, isn't it? Yeah, it's not been too bad. No massive problems for you. Nah, no, I think it's it, going pretty it's smooth. Been all right, yeah, yeah. Uh, clothes wise and everything, you're you're bearing up well. Well, the clothes are looking fine, but I have to say, I mean, I'm a busy man and I've got a multi-millionaire company to run and the time is ticking. Dom goes down post-match and decides to have a word with the cheeky little boss urchin, as I believe he calls him. I like Ravi, uh, you know, doing his improv work here, trying to do, you know, I've, I've got to run a multi-million dollar industry. However, what he says is, I've got a multi-millionaire company to run, which makes me think that his company is full of lots of millionaires. It's not, a, it's not a multi-million company, it's a multi-millionaire company. So there's lots of multi-millionaires, and then he, I guess, must be a multi-billionaire? 
or a yeah, multi multi millionaire. Yeah, it must be a billionaire. Like if he's the boss of all of these millionaires, surely he's got to be the the biggest of the lot. He's got the full Scrooge McDuck thing going on. Yeah, I think so. But with those multiple millionaires, you know, the clock is ticking. He's got a company to run, Luke, and he goes back to his porter office. I love that there is just this random set of office furniture and fax machine in the middle of Atlantis. I love that the mermaids are helping him. The mermaids are part of his staff for the day. Does that mean the mermaids are millionaires? I mean, they must be. Unless, of course, they've just been hired for the day just to do some intern work. You know, maybe they're looking... Dom doesn't pay very well as as lord of this Atlantis uh, set, so they've got to take on a side gig. Coming up in part two of the show, we have the second round of our annual footy tournament. Chris Armstrong is going to be on. Plus, we'll have the climax of the boss, and I'm sure you won't want to miss seeing that particular sight. Back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> to play a tuba. Surely a tuba's a punishment thing. She'll be sentenced to three years on the tuba. Oh, God. Some sort of plain poker, big Dalmatian dog. I said, this that's a clever dog, isn't it? He's not so clever, really. Every time it's a good hand, he wags his tail. <laughs> the biggest new releases are in Woolies this Christmas. With Neutrogena's new long-lasting dandruff control, there's none of this, none of that. Just this. At last, a dandruff shampoo that lasts longer. The Friday Review. All you need to know about music and films. Free with Tomorrow's Guardian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What is it that people like about BT's friends and family? Friends and family is so easy to join and um, you can't lose out. The perfect service for us. I spend a lot of time on the phone to Russell. 
on his mobile phone. You can save 10% with BT's friends and family. Call 0800 05 5555. I'd recommend it to anybody. I've been working in Saudi Arabia, so any communication with family members was a, was a real treasure. I just don't feel so guilty when I have that hour-long phone call to my friend. It's good to talk. To create the unique blended texture of Campbell's new Mediterranean tomato soup, we blend juicy tomatoes, onions, more tomatoes, garlic, some more tomatoes, peppers, thyme, and even more tomatoes. Being condensed, every can is packed with more ingredients and less water, and you'll enjoy a new, rich, blended texture that you'd never expect from canned soup. Campbell's new vegetable blends. We put more in so you get mm -mm more out of Campbell's. When it's cold outside, you can still be warm inside. With new Joe Snow. New double chocolate Vianetta. And new double milk chocolate Magnum. From the new Walls Winter Range. If you love ice cream, why should winter stop you? Welcome back. Uh, today we've got the second round then of our annual Games Master Footy Tournament, an event that great footballers almost kill to get on for. Well, almost all of them. Well, we come back from the ad break and we're heading straight into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Oh, come on. You know the score by now. 11 players, two goals, one ball. Let's go. God, he's touchy today, isn't he? Yeah, you know the score by now, don't you? You saw it last week. It's the same bloody game. It's football, isn't it? But much like Dominic Diamond, today's special celebrity, hmm, singular celebrity, is lean, strong and dangerous in the box. That is probably one of the ruder lines we've had thus far. Uh, but you're right there. It's the a notable by an absence. You know, this is a singular football player for this two football player celebrity challenge. We've got Chris Armstrong here, and they you know, talk about his transfer to Tottenham and everything. And he, and he kind of gives the standard. He's he's not a captivating fellow, to be honest. And I think maybe he, because he doesn't have Stan Collymore here, he's just sort of like, yeah, you know, the pressure doesn't get to him. He doesn't really have much to say. And And unfortunately, the thing that is overshadowing us all here is that he's on his own because Stan Collymore is not here. It's a pity then that our original player decided not to turn up. You may be wondering exactly what we're doing with just Chris on our own. Usually we technically like to have two footballers, but uh, Mr. Stan Collymore was due to appear on the show, but Stan's obviously got something a lot better to do, and he's so good that he hasn't even bothered to call us and tell us why he can't get on. we just like to wish Stan the very best in the rest of his career. Yeah, the knives are out for Stan on this one. Like, Dom takes us some very, very harsh jabs at him. And I'm wondering if Chris's kind of monosyllabic, very muted responses are because of that atmosphere. Because I'd imagine, as Stan Collymore no-showed and didn't even call to say why, Dom's mood is probably pretty bloody sour. In fact, I'd say everyone's is, because... It really, really just upsets the apple cart. You can have a lot of backup contestants. We know. We witnessed it. We've talked about it before. Spoilers. Technically, we could have been backup contestants for the new series of Games Master. I don't think we've ever mentioned that before, but there was a list. And whilst somewhat, you know, resisting it, we were on that list. Yeah, it could have been us. I'm still glad it wasn't. Yeah, me too. I'd have shit bricks over it, mate. 
But Collymore wasn't there. Dom was raging. I mean, who knows? Was Chris Armstrong friends with Stan Collymore? Were they mates? Were they enemies? Was he worried this would reflect badly? Who can tell? But he is not the most charismatic person on the mic, which is a shame. Stan at this point as well is a big name. All the other people they've brought in, you know, like last week it was the the under-21s, Chris Armstrong, maybe not like the most famous player. Stan Collymore was supposed to be like the big star that they've got here. And he no-shows them. This rivalry, I think, actually continues way beyond Gamesmaster. Dom clearly took this to heart, as he did a lot of things around this time. When he's got his five live show after Gamesmaster was on the air, he called Stan Collymore on air a scumbag. Hey, Dominic does hold a grudge. It's fair to be said. It, it's so funny because when I was like, you know, I, I wanted to Google what sort of happened with this, if there's anything that's been written about it. All of the articles I found were about Dominic Diamond stepping down from his job on, on Five Live and every single article referencing he once called Stan Collymore a scumbag on air. Like apparently that's what he ended up being known for. And then there'd be like a little addendum being like, he rose to fame by hosting Gamesmaster. Thankfully, Chris, while a little muted, does at least have a little idea of what sort of game he's going to be playing. He reckons his game tonight will be a bit dirty, lots of two-feeted tackles and elbows off the ball. So he's coming to play for keeps, even if he's not playing who he expected to play. So we haven't got Stan. Uh, and this, you know, this happened before on Have I Got News For You. Where they just put a tub of lard on instead. But unfortunately, they don't even have a tub of lard. Who have they got instead? Now, this happened on Have I Got News For You once and they replaced Roy Hattersley with a tub of lard. Unfortunately, we couldn't even find a tub of lard. We have to make do with Gamesmaster co-commentator extraordinaire Rick Henderson. Rick, yep. thank you very much for stepping in the last minute. What kind of game are we going to see from you, Rick? You must be a, the favourite here. Well, I'm a football game fanatic. I'm best at all the football games. And my sort of game will be who fit up the park and score goals. I'm not sure how Rick feels about being like kind of considered a lower substitute than the tub of lard. On Have I Got News For You, by the way, the tub of lard was substituting not for Collymore, but Roy Hattersley. In fact, I've got still somewhere a Have I Got News For You book from around this time. And the back cover is a somewhat um, busty lingerie wearing woman opening a tub of lard. So it became a running joke right up until Angus Dayton made his own running joke. I think probably Dave Perry is just the one that is the happiest here that he's not the one that's been roped into this to be <laughs> said that you're that you're worse than a tub of lard. Rick just seems happy to be there. He loves football. He's great at football games. His game will be hoof it up the park and score goals. I think he's a strong candidate for a future England manager there, Luke. Yeah, although spoilers, he does not achieve any of that. No, he does hoof it up the park. It's the second part that he really, really, really struggles, struggles with. with. And I'd like to welcome back a man whose boots I'm not fit to lick. And I have done a lot of strange things for money in <laughs> my time. Uh, sport presenting legend, Jim Rosatel. Welcome back, Jim. Thank you very much. What a relief after the somewhat awkward moments last week, because Jim Rosenthal is back in the commentary box and him and Dom have found their kind of meshing point because Dom says, I'm back with Jim, a man I'm not fit to lick the boots of, and I've done a lot of strange things for money in my time, and Jim busts a gut at that joke. These guys have found their connection point, they're on the same wavelength, and in this and the final, they really spark off each other. It's lovely. Yeah, it's kind of like what we had with the Athlete Kings uh, a couple of weeks back. You know, they went onto the show thinking it was something, then discovered what the show is, and then just got on board. And I think Jim's in the same boat. 
went onto the show, probably thought it's just a, a show about computer games. It's for kids. It's this, that, and the other. Then gets on set. Then they do the first match. And it was like, oh, it's this kind of show. Ah, I can settle into a groove then. And the groove he settles into. And the pair of them are actually really, really great together. I think Jim's really, really good on this episode. He is. Both him and Dom are. They spark off each other beautifully. We've got Chris Armstrong as Brazil. Rick is playing as England, so technically playing with a handicap. And Jim says that as Chris is Brazil, he expects Chris to win quite comfortably. And immediately, England get a shot on goal. Like we said last week as well, I think they have set the ref to blind, which is that if you throw a tackle in, it's not picked up by the referee. Unless, of course, it happens in the penalty box. Same thing happens on a lot of football games. Uh, like this is football, I think the same thing. Tackle them on the, uh, up the field, not at all. The second you do it in the box, that is a penalty and you will be sent off. The referee may have been set to blind, but if he hears the bones crunching, you're still going to get a red card, which, spoilers, is what happens here. This may be the first time we've had a red card in a football challenge on Gamesmaster. Oh God, is it? It may be. It's certainly one of the most spectacular ones because this is not a gentleman's sports game. This is really, really vicious. Because after England shot on goal, Brazil returned with a goal kick. There's then a massive foul, which they're allowed to play on because Brazil have the advantage and a shot on goal. Uh, Jim does make a note that England's early run would have absolutely bollocks his prediction. There is part of me for a while that thinks that Rick is taking it easy on Chris because there are some very soft passes, some very soft shots. Rick's a pro games player, you know, and like, you know, he's maybe not be one of the top 50 like Dave Perry, but he knows how to play games. I think Rick is self-aware enough to know that this is a celebrity challenge. He's not the celebrity here. The celebrity needs to win in order to go through to the final. If this had been Dave Perry, Dave would have played to win because he's Dave Perry and he's got this whole you know idea about himself that he's got a reputation to uphold. Rick's here for a laugh. Rick gets it. And I think you're right. Like I think he's playing a soft game here because he wants Chris to win. It's a better story if Chris wins. He does go a bit harder once Chris is one goal up because he's like, oh, at this point, the worst I can do is draw recall. We go to penalties. I biff the penalties. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. One thing I will say hands down is of all the football matches we've had in these tournaments, this is probably one of my favourites because it is absolute carnage. There is more blood and bone breaking in this than in most of the Mortal Kombat challenges. It's absolutely vicious. Chris's goal was a wonderful Beckham-style chip as well. Really, really nicely done. It was a wonderful little goal. And we then get a moment where Rick gets this shot on target. Chris chases the ball down. And Rick crunches this lad inside the penalty box brilliant bit of commentary with Jim being like oh I thought he got the ball we need to go to the replay and they watch the replay closely it's like maybe he did just clip the man taking it so beautifully seriously that it just elevates the whole thing saying he clipped the man is like saying the iceberg winged the Titanic (laughs) (laughs) Rick's man does get sent off here and then Chris skies his penalty something fierce so much so i think it landed in my back garden it was a terribly done penalty but it doesn't really matter because whilst rick does get one final run on goal the whistle blows and chris armstrong is through to the final okay uh, congratulations chris i'm going to start off with you there uh, a great goal 
nice, uh, a nice lob. Was that something you were planning before the game? Yeah, I've been uh, just scoring a lot of them in practice and worked out for me today. Now, Rick, mm -hmm. subtlety. Yeah. Not something you'd associate with the England performance there. I'd say they're sending off a major talking point. Uh, major talking point. Well, I saw the man go inside me. He was going for the goal, so he had to go down. Simple as that. There are pros and cons in this, though, and I think I've been conned by a pro. He says he practiced that chip as well, so maybe that's the you know the tactic that they were showing him in the green room when they were first playing this game, being like, if you get to this point here, press this button, and you can do a lob over the goalkeeper. Maybe it's just something along those lines. Rick has the best line, which I think doesn't get the credit it deserves, which is, there are pros and cons in this, and I think I've been conned by a pro. It's so good. I used this in the office yesterday at my job. I cannot remember the context of it, but something came up. We must have been playing a game or something. And it just, Rick's line just rattled around in my head. And I just said, I was like, you know what? There are pros and cons. And I think I've been conned by a pro. And my, one of my office co-workers just looked at me and said, like, that's a brilliant line. Is that a quote from something? And I said, yeah, it's from Games Master because <laughs> I watched the episode today. And was the reaction from the co-worker like, oh, yeah, of course it was fun. Games Master, wasn't he? You never shut up about that bloody show. It's almost like you've got a podcast about it, Luke. <laughs> yeah. But Don wishes Rick the best for his footballing career and certainly better than he wishes for Stan Collymore. Yeah, and even then, like once the Stan Collymore thing's done with, he's just like, nope, I'm going to get some more punches in there because the boss is going to find out why Stan Collymore shafted them. Direct quote, shafted them. <sighs> I've just received a report from Deep Space Five. Long-range sensors have picked up... Yes, I know. The Borg set a course for Earth. Oh, Maximum I'll put the kettle on then, Jean-Luc. Next week sees the release of Star Trek First Contact, the first movie starring just the Next Generation cast. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard finds himself up against the Federation's worst enemy, the scabby-skinned Borg, who have used Carol Vorderman's theory of time travel to wreak havoc on the galaxy's most popular planet. Data, report. We appear to be caught in a temporal wake. Captain, Earth. The atmosphere contains high concentrations of methane, carbon monoxide, and chlorine. Life signs? Population approximately 9 billion. All Borg. I didn't know Beyond Borg had that many brothers. Now, we could go on for a while talking about Star Trek First Contact. We could do, because there's a brilliant little feature here. I actually really, really love this feature. The second this feature finished, my only thought was, I'm going to watch this movie again because I really want to watch this movie again. However, we're not going to dive too much into it now because, spoilers for a few weeks' time, we get this as the UK number one at the box office for three whole weeks. Because up until the J.J. Abrams reboot, I think this was basically the Star Trek movie that just went. Generations did okay, but this movie had broad appeal because it was quite an action movie and you're right we can talk a lot about this i've got a lot to say about it i'm sure you've got a lot to say about it but to keep the notes on this feature which sees don being very positive about star trek after his disparaging remarks about the x-files i genuinely just expect him to be kind of like guns out for star trek but no he's quite actually on board with this i think he likes next generation I think he's kind of a bit on board for, for TNG. And maybe it's because this is way more of an action movie. You know, his line is like, this is more Star Wars than Star Trek. Maybe he just, you know, the clips that he's seen, it was like, wow, this looks like a great action movie with some really good special effects. I might go and check this out. But he makes a comment in this about test audiences wanting to see more 
them going back and doing reshoots and adding more scenes with the Borg in. I don't know that that's true. I'm glad we've got the time until it's number one for me to check this out, but when he made that comment, I did go and have a quick look at not only Wikipedia, but I looked at various retrospectives. I even uh, re-listened to a chunk of the 50-year history book, the entire like hour-long chapter that's about first contact. Whilst there were a number of reshoots, quite expensive reshoots for generations, I can't find anything about extensive reshoots for first contact. Which begs the question then, where did Dom hear this? Who told Dom? Was it Peter Molyneux? Did Peter Molyneux tell him this down the pub and then they put it on Games Master? If the, you know, if you crash the Enterprise into the Borg sphere, um, you transport into Star Wars. I, I fully believe it. You know, if, if Games Master's telling me that, it probably is true. There is a lot to be said about this movie. Technically, the origin started around 1992 when Paramount Pictures approached Star Trek Next Generation's producer Rick Berman and said, we want two films featuring the cast of the next gen. And Berman was like, I'm going to develop two screenplays at the same time and whichever looks the best, that will become the first one. And that first one became Star Trek Generations, which I find hilarious because apparently that was the better one. And then we got First Contact, which I would argue as a accessible film is probably neck and neck for being the best Star Trek film. I would say that Star Trek for The Voyage Home, I know I've talked about it before, but it, that is my favourite original series cast movie because whilst there is quite a bit of heavy lore because Spock is still kind of like recovering from having died and being brought back to life and reborn, the actual core of the film is Earth under attack in the future, go back in time, save the whales. You can ignore all the shit about the characters and just focus on that core conceit of we've got to go back in time to save the whales. And it's a light, fun romp. And it's a film that is so ingrained in lore that the recent series of Picard that dealt with going back to 21st century Earth has a throwback to that movie in it. Whilst we will cover this a lot more because this film does great business, Dom, as was the style at the time, takes a pot shot at Patrick Stewart for being bold. My favourite line from this, however, is that, uh, you know, they've saved money because they don't have to bring in the old timers like Shatner Nimoy, plus the 20 quid I lent them. That's how they're able to get these really cool special effects. Also, they used a computing power the size of Slough, which made me laugh because I used to have to go to Slough to maintain servers. And I'm like, there are a lot of computers in Slough. Like, there's huge amounts of data centres out there. It's crazy. Quick little footnote I'll put in here, purely because... I will forget it otherwise, is you talk about the cost of bringing the old cast in. When this film first came out, because it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, aka Riker, aka body double of one of our own mods on Discord, Matty Boo, in the first couple of days after this film came out, Jonathan Frakes got a phone call from DeForest Kelly to basically say, you're doing a great job, I think the franchise is in safe hands. Phew. Frakes was really taken aback because they'd only met him a couple of times, like once when he briefly guested in that first episode of Next Gen, and then at a couple of dinners where, you know, there was a lot of people around. It was a dinner party. It wasn't an intimate one-on-one -on -one gathering. But he said it, it just meant a lot to me because it means he'd been, he'd seen the film, and he felt compelled to call me and say, you're doing all right, kid. That is lovely. That is heartwarming. I have a lot of time for Jonathan Frakes. I think he's excellent at almost everything he turns his hands to. I would love for the man to play jazz at me and cook me a pizza. Uh, I'll just add uh, one footnote to Slough. Uh, living in Reading, I was very close to Slough and I had to go through that station a lot. It's the only station I can think of that's got a dead dog 
uh, on display. Deliberately on display. Deliberately on display. That is everything you need to know about Slough. Fucking hated going to Slough. <laughs> no one likes going to Slough. I had to go to Slough because it's the only way to get to Windsor. I don't know what Dom's uh, taste is on Star Trek. I don't know whether he just likes TNG. I don't know whether he just likes this movie because it's action-packed. He's clearly a Star Wars fan. We know that much. But he clearly likes this more than he likes Deep Space Nine and or Voyager. I like both of those shows to some degree, but I would agree that if you gave me a choice of watch the best episode of DS9, watch the best episode of Voyager, and there are some good ones there, or watch First Contact. First Contact every time. Okay, if you're just uh, tuning in, I hope it was incredibly important uh, because we've only got a few minutes left. What has happened in this show, right? Guy came on in a suit, slightly fat, called himself the boss, claims he can beat any boss in the world. We picked three games at random. He did the first two, not terribly convincing, but he did it okay in the end. I moved my hands a lot throughout the show and Rick Henderson, my co-commentator for this, tried to play football against Chris Armstrong and got beat! But he stood around to commentate for the final part of the boss. This is the final bet, the final boss, one of the hardest ones we've seen, Rick. The spider on Resident Evil. How can you help out the boss on this? Well, basically, the spider will try and flob on you, and it's evil flob, right? Evil flob, it will hurt you. Dom's recap of this episode is so just like, uh, I, okay, I haven't really got time to do this. We've got a guy, cheap suit. He's playing some challenges here. Rick had to step in. Stan Collymore didn't show up, and he got beat. And that's why I think Rick was setting himself up to lose, playing the soft game, because it's funnier that Rick loses than Rick winning. But it's now time for the final boss, for the boss, and on Resident Evil, and he has to defeat a giant spider, non-mechanical, just standard, just a giant mutant spider with a Beretta. Just the Beretta, that's all they've given given him any of the other weapons, he's just got the Beretta, and he's got to avoid the spider flop. They say that he's got to hit him eight times in order to win. Now, I really like the presentation of this challenge. A, I love the fact they've only given them the, the, the handheld gun. They haven't given them the shotgun or anything like that. But B, more importantly, they've put their own graphics on screen because Resident Evil doesn't have a HUD display. So there's no information on screen. You have to go into menus to see things. You'd have to go into the menu to see what your health is. Because the boss isn't going to be doing that, Ravi's not going to be doing that, they have just put on the screen life and five hearts or like three hearts or whatever it is, just to tell you, the audience at home, this is how much life they've got. Because if he takes a hit, they take off one of the, the hearts, and that's how we're playing the game. I think that's just a really, really good touch. They probably did a little bit of research and went, right, full health, how many flobs does it take to kill you? Three or four, right, we'll set the heart meter at three, because then if you take three hits, you're dead. Yeah. Much like they say it will take nine shots of the Beretta to kill the spider, which is somewhat true it does vary a little there is variance depending on where you hit the spider when i was looking up hit damage on this particular boss it said anywhere but i think between 9 and 12 so yeah. i'm guessing there is a hit radius if you catch it directly in the body then it's obviously a, a full a full strength hit if you catch it in the leg in the mandible or just at the tip just the tip then it's maybe less and you have to go a couple more but the boss knows what he's doing it's amazing to watch this because I've not played the original non-remake Resident Evil in quite some time. Last one I played was Resi Remake of the original. Resi 2, I played Resi 2 Remake, which is a fantastic remake. I think the remakes for the most part have been absolutely stellar, absolutely spot on, brilliant stuff. The non-analog nature of the controls here. Those tank controls. And you have to stop, you have to hold down a button, and you have to turn and rotate to aim. That kind of plot makes it so tense 
because he can't just run and gun. He has to run, stop, look, think, listen, cross the road, then shoot the spider. And it really just ups the tension. And when they cut back to the boss, he's gritting his teeth. This is not an act. This is a guy who's like, I know what I've got to do, but fuck me, the tension of actually trying to stop an aim is going to do me in. Also, like, you know, he failed the first time they tried to do this with the executioner. They wanted to do Orchid's boob fatality on TV, and he fucked it. There's added pressure on here to get this one done and actually get that golden joystick. So there's extra stuff on there. Speaking of extra stuff, in fact, actually, I they've clearly played through this game a lot. Jill's in her alternative costume, which I thought was a really, really fun little touch. So that shows you like how much they played through this game, how much they know this game, and you know, able to put that up on TV. And he knows exactly what he's doing here. And as you say, it's run, stop, turn, shoot. Run, stop, turn, shoot. He gets hit by the poison a handful of times, but he gets his shots in and he wins. That final few moments when it's basically one hit either way could just end this. Whilst there is quite a campy setup for this entire challenge, it's a lot of bloody fun. It is fun, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. And that explosion of spider guts, the boss beating the boss, the boss winning, the one who isn't the spider winning, it's just really, really great. You kind of want him to take a moment to bask in that glory, and therefore post-challenge, Dom says, well, you are the boss, you're wealthy, you're big business, but why are you wearing such a cheap-ass suit? Cheap suit? Does this look cheap to you? Yeah, rather. Well, you know, you've got to wear a few cheap things here, haven't you? Well, with those words of wisdom then, ringing in our ears, I'll refresh your memory about them, you have to wear cheap things once and again. I wish Ravi had a better answer for this, and he must have known it was coming, because bloody hell, they've talked about this suit a lot. And he just goes, it's not cheap. And I, I just wish he had a better answer for it, a better comeback for it. Yeah, his eventual comeback that he does manage to blow out is, you have to wear cheap things once and again. Have a pop at Dom's suit, something along those lines. I think the problem is sometimes you're going into a barbed war with Dominic Diamond, who is very, very good at doing this sort of thing. So you're always going to come up looking silly, I guess. But I just wish he had better a, a, a better comeback for it. I wish he'd had the Penfold line from the other week. Yeah, That would have been a great comeback. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? But yeah, he gets his joystick and, and off he pops. Yeah, he gets a cheap joystick to go with the cheap suit. Okay, that's it. That's all we've got time for today. I'd like to thank you on behalf of myself and Channel 4 for giving us 30 minutes of your busy life today. On next week's show, we'll have the grand final of our footy tournament. And I'll leave you with this thought. If old age brings such great wisdom, why do granddads insist on wetting themselves? Good night. They don't insist, Dom. It's a lifestyle choice. Well, that is the episode. Ash, what did you make of it? I had a lot of fun with this episode. Uh, we were a bit sallow on the past couple of weeks because last week's was just kind of eh. And the Yuri Geller episode, let's not go there. The Red Mist is descending again. This episode was fun. This episode was fun with a capital F. Throughout most of the past seasons, we have got used to one or two game challenges. And it's only right at this moment that I've realised we actually had a four-game challenge show that did not feel rushed. Yeah, it's so weird. When I was like writing up the titles for our the you know the Google sheet that we've got of this, uh, just sort of copy and paste them when I'm loading the episodes up. This episode title sticks out like a sore thumb compared to the rest of them because there are like two titles. Thing this one's got four games in it, but no review section. We lose the review section here. We still get a feature, a really good feature on Star Trek, and we still get the news. But I think that is compensated by the fact we get four challenges effectively. 
and only one of the games is a returner, and that's part of the FIFA challenge. Otherwise, we get three completely new games that have not been used in challenges on Games Master before, which, beautiful. Absolutely love it. The fact that the boss did win, I'm overjoyed. I do not think it would have been as much fun if he'd lost. Also, I don't think it would have been as much fun if he'd comfortably won. The tension was just right. The, the FIFA match, whether Rick did throw it or not, eh, it is what it is. But the game itself was fun because it was so bloody vicious. We've kind of dipped down a bit with the last two episodes, but this one, I'm now right back up and I'm looking north of that 90 line. I think this is quintessential Games Master, from the knowing nod and the wink about this being a bit of a rig up, a bit of a conceit, to some pretty fucking <coughs> funny jokes about bad suits, to a great feature with Dom being very positive about a sci-fi show, even overriding the fact that once again he takes a pop at Gillian Anderson, which I just think is unnecessary. I mean, admittedly, she does also wear some cheap suits in the X-Files, but thankfully he doesn't go down that route either. I also feel it's less of a shot at Gillian Anderson and more about the people that fancy Gillian Anderson. Those are the people that he's making fun of and saying that they're the ones that are wrong, even though, Dominic Diamond, you're the one that's wrong. I take it we both really, really fancied Gillian Anderson in the X-Files then? Of course we did. We're only human. We're only human after all. Yeah, no, I, I, this was a really fun episode. The, the point you made there about this is no, by no repeat challenges. When you look at the Executioner, all three of the fighting games that he played were fighting games we've had on Games Master previously. These are games that we haven't had on the show. Resident Evil, Knights has a challenge on the show, Star Gladiator, which had been reviewed a couple of weeks ago. I think that actually just adds to the elements of this, of getting to see these games on the show. I think Ravi's really good in this role. Uh, I actually like that they brought back this gimmick that they had with the Executioner, because I really liked it in Series 5. And the football challenge is kind of elevated by Rick stepping in. And I think Rick's really fun with it. It's a very vicious little challenge. And I think we end up with certainly the best episode of the last couple of weeks. It's not the best episode of Series 6 thus far, because that's a high, high, high bar to get over. But this is a very, very good episode. I was trying to decide or work out within myself whether I am being pushed over into the 90s or whether I'm going to sit at a DeLorean. Because I think this is, while it is a great episode, it's not one of the best episodes of Games Master. And I want to try and sort of like reserve my 90 judgment for that. But it is a very, very fun episode. See, I think the reason I'm pushing into the 90s isn't just because of the joy of the challenges. It's because of the breadth of games featured. We do not get a single genre repetition in a four-game challenge show. That's pretty awesome. Haven't seen that sort of thing since Series 2. Yeah, we get a ball em up we get a fly em up we get a spider em up and we get a plasma em sword em up or kick em up or whatever. Yeah, we, we get a nice broad selection of topics covered. The feature, whilst not game-relevant... It's fascinating and definitely plays to both of our strengths and interests. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be game relevance either. Dominic set us up in episode one. This is a multimedia show. And so that's I think what's pushing me into the 90s. It's not pushing me into the high 90s, but I think it definitely is leaving me at around a 91%. That was my decision I was making. I was either going to be at 90, bang on 90, or I was going to be at a comfortable 88. The more I think about it, I think it, you've, you've kind of convinced me on that, is that the breadth of games in there is going to push me to 90. I'm going to sit very comfortably at 90%. I'm absolutely overjoyed that you decided to bump up into the 90s because the Sega, I mean, we talked a bit about the football game. It is a football game. It's not FIFA. It's not that level of iconic. Star Gladiator, it's interesting because it is that first 3D Capcom fighting game. But Knights at one level is iconic. Resident Evil at another level is iconic. So you've got two games there that are incredibly indicative of where both of the major 32-bit platforms sit at that point. You've got Resi 
and you've got knights. And whilst only one of those is a platform exclusive, people associate Resident Evil with the PlayStation. I'd also say as well, like, you know, going back to 1996, 10 year old Luke, seeing Resident Evil on TV and seeing that game and being like, a, a game I won't play for years to come would have like captivated me to be like that's cool i want to see more of that i think you're about the same with nice but certainly resident evil big old spider in it anyway i think that's going to wrap it up for this episode thank you all so much for listening you all rule you can find us on social media on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can send us a little old email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to interact with us in real time interact with other listeners other fans of games and retro pop culture you can do so on our discord details of which can be found in the show notes and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under pod where you'll get access to ucp extra this show format but about other stuff from the 80s and 90s and our monthly community show under console nation and if you back to the five pound level you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free but at the 10 pound level you get a little bit extra ash what do you get at the £10 level, you get our under-consultation Patreon pack, which contains stickers, badges, retro sweeties, retro trading cards, all nestled within a glittery golden under-consultation joystick waggler mug. And a shout-out to those £10 backers, Xanderthol, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Simon, Sean, Sarah, a.k.a. Pink Lithium, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Debster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew Cummings, Adam D, and Andy Smith. And just as a last note, we've kind of struggled for a little while with getting merch of a quality we'd like. We had our initial run of shirts, which were great. They were exactly what we wanted. We got our limited run for the live show, which again were great. They were exactly what we wanted. Uh, I've been trying to find a print on demand service that I am happy with the quality of. As a result of this, I have a bunch of shirts that I'm not happy with the quality of, but it has left something of a void. However, if you are hearing this bit of the episode, it means some new samples have arrived and they have met my possibly over high standards and therefore mugs, t-shirts and new designs should be available via the under consultation website as we speak. And until then, we will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.